Hey SEOs and content marketers, say goodbye to crazy spreadsheet mashups and experience unprecedented connectivity between your SEO planning and reporting data. Introducing Audience Key, technology for keyword mapping, content brief automation, and rank tracking that form an SEO strategy system providing unparalleled feedback loops between planning, reporting, and optimization activities. Put your time and energy into strategy, not data upkeep. Visit audiencekey.com and apply for a free trial today. Welcome to Webcology here on WMR.FM. It's the 22nd of June, 2023. Happy summer. Solstice was a couple of days ago. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and Christine Schackinger from Sites Without Walls. And uh, we've got a couple of announcements, uh, housekeeping announcements to make. Um, first of all, uh, 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 the lottery for the free tickets for... Um, Brighton SEO US, which is in like San Diego in November. Um, the ballots for the free tickets will be open on the 12th, uh, at 12 p.m. Uh, Pacific on uh, June 26th until uh, 12 p.m. Pacific on June 30th. Christine, how does this work? I, don't, I totally can't wrap my head around how <laughs> the free ticket lottery for Brighton SEO works. So Brighton is known for this in the UK, and you submit to get one of their free tickets. They have a free social ticket already, but this is a free one-day ticket to attend the sessions on either day. And they just pull names basically out of a hat, and if you get one, you get that free day. So I think it encourages people to come to the conference and participate in the networking and the social events. So okay, so it's a, it's a really great thing that they do. So this is a uh, – basically, it's an application to be thrown for your name to be thrown into a fishbowl. Yeah, but they give a lot of free ones away, so it's a, you have a really good chance of getting one. Okay, and that will get you uh, into the conference for one day. But there's also a social pass you can get, so that would make the uh, the expense of uh, getting yourself from wherever to uh, the most southwest point you can possibly go to on the continental U.S. Uh, worth it. I think so. Yeah, definitely. And the networking is always really great at Brighton. And I imagine since they have such a big European audience uh, that they'll have a lot of people coming over from UK and EU as well. So it, it'll be definitely a great event. Uh, for Europeans who haven't, uh, our European friends who haven't been over to North America yet, um, just to let you know, it's a very, very, very big place. So when you've actually crossed the Atlantic, you're not even almost there yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got about five hours to fly across the country. Right, so, you know, bring a book. Be prepared. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah exactly. Okay, so that's, that's really cool. Um, Brighton SEO is moving forward. The, uh, if, 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 if um, early bird tickets are still available, by the way, um, cutting, like, dramatically cutting the price. Yeah. Um, free tickets going to be available on the uh, 26th, just a couple of days from now. Um, so take advantage of that. And, uh, this is kind of cool. Um, I, we have competing search engine awards in the, uh, in the industry and both seem to be fairly thriving, which is kind of cool. There's the, um, US, Europe, um, and, you know, global search awards, uh, held by, um, the Don't Panic group in, uh, in London. And there's the um, Search Land Awards held by the um, Third Door Media Crew. 
Yes. Um, so today, emails got sent out, and you can also see over at uh, searchengineland.com that the 2023 Search Engine Land Award nominations are now open. Now, the weird thing is they actually opened about a month ago with a super early bird special, but as noted in Search Engine Land and by emails, nominations are now open. Yes, anyway. and the early, bird, uh, the early bird expires tomorrow, and you probably won't hear this show before then, so just assume the early birds are over. <laughs> yeah, anyway, that's, just kind of, that's just kind of a confusing way to market it. Like, the nominations were already open. Yeah, uh, exactly. it's going to cost you a bit more if you do it now. Do it anyway <laughs> if you haven't nominated yet, because you know what? I work with um, uh, a growing team of aspiring devs and uh, young SEOs, and you know, um, I'm, I really love the, the team that I'm working with. And if they were to win an award um, for some of the work they're doing, and in two cases, I think they deserve it, um, they would be thrilled. Like like just over the moon thrilled, and for the for for a young agency that that, that I'm kind of working with, it would be a uh, uh, I can't even I can't even say what it would mean to them. It would be enormous. So yeah, awards, uh, industry respected um, and recognized awards at this point at the development of the search marketing industry. I think I think they're good, important, and really useful. I agree. Yeah, it's nice to have. So. Definitely get your entries in if you think you have something that's worthy of an award. Yep. Uh, quick disclosure, Christine and I are both uh, guests or uh, judges with Don't Panic, the um, uh, uh, global and 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 uh, regional search awards. So, so a little bit of bias towards award shows. <laughs> you, know when, uh, you, know, you know when they make you a judge of these things, you're like old, right? That's, what, that's the first clue that you're old. You've been made a judge I, of these things. I volunteered, so I am not old. Okay. Well, they approached me with recognition of how old I am. Um, another thing, which actually is, is, is absolutely going to be dating me and dating this network. This is a 13. This is a weird one. This is neat. It came, it came up in my Facebook memories today, and it's so totally worth mentioning, especially for long-term Webmaster Radio listeners. This is the 13th anniversary of a uh, series of, of conferences called AFCON. Uh, they were organized, hosted, uh funded complete shebang by webmaster radio and they were for the affiliate marketing uh community and then webmasters therein and i did all the i i organized the speakers that was my role in uh three of the conferences um i think they did four conferences in total um and uh this is the 13th anniversary of the one that was held in denver colorado now i only mention it because at this exact moment Darren and uh, Darren Babin and Brandy Shapiro Babin, the uh, founders of Webmaster Radio, and the organizers of uh, the AFCON series of conferences, short-lived but well-loved series of conferences, are currently in the exact same room at a uh, another conference, um, partially sponsored by our sister station, Cannabis Radio. Uh, that's awesome. At this what exact I- moment, they're standing in the same spots they were 13 years ago. Oh my gosh! I just Everything think it's goes cool. around, comes around. That is cool. That uh, is time, really cool. time is trippy. Time is trippy. <laughs> um, and, and also, it gives me a chance to, to mention AFCON, which was insanely a lot of fun. Yeah, I, don't, I never attended AFCON, so I'll have to take your word on that. But I'm sure it was because I remember all the uh, webmaster-related events for SEO, and they were always a blast. So, uh, yeah. 
Okay, speaking of fun, this is this this came up this morning. <laughs> You've been dying to get to this. <laughs> oh my god! Um, hopefully, you know, two men enter, one man leaves. That's that's the way I see it. And either way, it's either way. You know, the outcomes could be could be pretty good uh, for humanity and the internet. Um, okay, so this 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 started coming up today again. The show was recorded live to a podcast on the twenty second of June. Okay, so sometime this morning, as we uh, as we understand it, we're sort of piecing this together because it's so weird. The uh, folks over at Twitter got uh, wind of the shenanigans happening over at Facebook, where sh- where Facebook is like really, really, really close to introducing a new and improved version of Twitter, except moderated by adults and not twelve uh, year old edge lords neo Nazis. Okay. Yeah. So, Although it wasn't this morning, it was yesterday, just for clarity. Oh, yesterday. Yes. Okay. Yesterday, yeah, this, yeah, this yeah. started happening. Okay. So it started happening yesterday. Um, the folks over at Twitter ran as fast as they could up the stairs because they can't get elevator sales uh, service people to come into their buildings anymore. Um, they ran as fast as they could up the stairs to the very top of the building where Elon Musk works and probably lives, um, and told him, and he flipped, just just lost it. And challenged uh, Mark Zuckerberg to a cage match fight. Yes. Uh, Although it all happened on Twitter, really. <laughs> okay, so this is like um, like machismo, bogus stuff in social media. And it's really hard to take it kind of seriously until Zuckerberg replied, name a time and a place. To which yeah. Musk replied, Octagon, Las Vegas. And um, suddenly... We got to fight. We got to fight. Yeah, apparently they thought they were just joking yesterday, but I forget which outlet confirmed it, but supposedly it confirmed. Oh, BBC. Yeah. Two of the world's most high-profile technology billionaires, Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, have agreed to fight each other in the cage match. (laughs) I can't tell you how much I want to see this happen. Like, honestly, this is... I mean, long-term listeners of the show know that I'm, 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 I'm a big fan of boxing. Have been my entire life, you know. I'm a big fan of hockey. I love um, uh, uh, physical blood sports. But this is another level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Musk, I must like to say, had a, a special move where he just lays on people and does nothing, and it's called the walrus. Oh, I thought so. that, I thought that was um, like Elon Musk's like secret porn video. <laughs> probably probably is but we don't we don't go there but, uh, um, but if we talk about people fighting um apparently musk says that he had some street fights back in the day in south africa but that's many years ago and uh, zuckerberg has been uh training for mixed martial arts and actually has won some jujitsu tournaments so i have a feeling this will be a one punch two punch down punch <laughs> so. i have a feeling that elon musk is gonna puff his um ever expanding chest out about this as much as he possibly can until the very 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 last second where he somehow breaks a toenail or something and has to make yeah, fight or, I, or something i don't think it'll probably actually happen but it is quite hilarious that two billionaires have nothing better to do with their time than Oh, Christine, these two billionaires don't have anything better to do with it. There's nothing better in the world they can do with their time than exactly this. For us, for us, definitely. I mean, definitely nothing better they could do with their time. Okay, let me ask you a question. Would you rather have Elon Musk either preparing for a fight or 
actually fighting Elon Musk, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, or would you rather have him, like, you know, playing CEO at Twitter? Which do you think is a better use of his time? I, I definitely think the, the fight is a much better use of his time. Yeah, go, go, yeah. go, go trade Musk. And you know what? Maybe in that <laughs> trading. Yeah, go walrus, go. Uh, although, again, my money's on the robot, not the walrus. My, my money's definitely on the robot. If he's training for MMA and, and 18 months of jiu-jitsu and winning tournaments, definitely on the robot. So, uh, I will say um, Musk did spend a childhood in South Africa where, you know, even, you know, Emerald, Emerald Knuckles aside, he still had to, you know, put up with a great deal of violence. And he went to school in Canada where I can assure listeners Musk had to deal with a great deal of violence. That's just the way it is. Um, so he's no stranger to it. But uh, again, uh, yeah, he's, I think uh, the he's last a flabby time old he, man. Yeah, I think the last time he probably took a punch was 30 years ago <laughs> or more. Well, so. except the last time he went to talk to his accountant. His accountant is allowed to punch him because it's probably better <laughs> than the news he has to deliver. This is very true. Yeah. Very, very true. And the, and the, um, the new uh, Instagram-based Twitter, what they right now is called P92, might be called Threads and we'll work with Mastodon, is uh, supposedly due out this summer. So we'll see, see what happens. So but right you now, know, that's, that's what the fight was based on originally was, was that. P92 or Threads. Yeah, yeah. it's a tough one. That's a tough one. I, I, I guess Threads is, is the better day, but P92, that's smoking. Yeah, yeah neither, neither really are great names. Uh, yeah. You can't. <laughs> Because threads, so thread, threading is already a thing. What, what would you do? Thread threads? Twitter threads? Thread threads? <laughs> like, it doesn't. a thread. Yeah. <laughs> Here's and a then, thread thread. And thread then somebody threading. from like, from, from the home shopping network will come after you for some patented product that, that they had called Insta thread. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a I, mad, 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 mad world. I will say though, I mean, as much as we know, Meta has major issues. With privacy, security, data, all that. Uh, but they've been under so much scrutiny and have had so many fines. I'm hoping that they'll be the adults in the room because I really would like a Twitter where there aren't neo-Nazis hanging out to like yell at people all day long. Well, from a business standpoint, brand protection, like if you're, if, 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 if you're, um, Procter and Gamble or, um, Anheuser-Busch or anybody, Disney, perhaps, with a massive ad spend and a reputation to protect. I mean, like, Insta, Insta thread is honestly just a smart business decision. Like, a place that's moderated by adults and um, is about, like, I don't know, um, good faith conversation or good faith debate. Um, it's a no-brainer. You have to migrate there because you can't have your um, all-inclusive special content go up beside um, some advertisement uh, blaming everything on an ethnic or religious group. Yeah, I, I, I agree. No. I really I really am still only on Twitter for certain reasons, but um, it's become just a lot of a cesspool. So, and a lot of the cesspool pays for the blue check so they can get expanded reach. A lot of it's bots and fake accounts too. So Musk is like, bots and fake accounts won't buy the blue check. Yeah, they do. A lot of them do. 
Oh, of course um, they will. Oh, my God, of course they will. Oh, Jesus. Anyway, uh, in the land of reality, people are suing Elon Musk because he's not paying their bills. Or, more importantly, he's not um, upholding contracts, including millions and millions and millions in workers' bonuses that um, uh, well, you know, they didn't conveniently forget. They, act, they, didn't, they absolutely didn't conveniently forget. They just decided, screw it. What are you going to do? I'm the richest guy on earth. Uh, they, they, that's exactly the richest guy on earth did, um, and fired them all, or fired a, a number of a number of their employees. And now they're not, now they're not going to pay their severance. They're not going to pay their uh, bonuses. And um, a lawsuit um, filed in uh, San Francisco court on Tuesday suggests uh, when Musk purchased the purchased Twitter. He promised employees they would receive at least 50% of the target bonuses for 2022, which, of course, the, never actually happened. <laughs> um, breach of contract yeah. and um, uh, 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 in breach of decorum. You know how it replies to, to, the, uh, to, any, to, to, to a request for comment on the lawsuit? With a poop you usually get a... Yeah, that's what you always got. They got, although they they do have a comms person now, but I don't know what he's doing yet. But they still do the poop emoji. The uh, oh, also it, interestingly enough, the person that launched the lawsuit is the Twitter Twitter's senior director of compensation, who just left the company last month, and filed the class action with a lawyer who's been handling many people's lawsuit. Shannon Liss, I'm not gonna say this right, Riordan, Riordan. Uh, she represents ex-Twitter workers and some other lawsuits. And about 2,000 individual arbitration cases stemming from mass layoffs ordered by Musk last year. Uh, in addition, uh, they, uh, he owes apparently a million in legal fee re- reimbursements to three former executives. So he's got lawsuit after lawsuit piling up. I guess he just thinks he never has to pay him. I don't know. By the way, I don't uh, think it's going to go well for him. <laughs> Matthew Clyde listeners might note if he owes a million in, uh, Legal in legal restitution to three former executives. That means their cases cost like I don't know a third of a million each. Um, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of money. You, you could go to the bottom of the Atlantic on that kind of money. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, too soon. <laughs> yeah, okay. the the latest reports on that is there's a debris field found at the bottom by a robot. Well, then they. Uh, went to the bottom of the Atlantic. Um, you know what? Then at least it was over very quickly. Yeah, so quick, quick shout out to about, you know, these are people who have families who love them and friends and, you know, whatever the misjudgments were about going on this thing in the first place, given even if they got it to the surface, they'd have to unlock it from the outside by unscrewing seven massive I bolts. Think, I think it's the yeah. hubris, not the, uh, yeah. not the people. It's just the massive hubris of it all. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, they, the, they, the, they, the, the libertarian owner of the, uh, of the adventure yeah. tourism company who doesn't really care about safety, um, who's con- on record saying, I yeah, don't care about he safety. That, um, he thinks all regulations and certifications block innovation, which is, it, it does slow it down, but for good reasons. So people yeah. don't go on and it's then a pillbox, pillbox. And is it, I don't know if people realize there was, there was no way to get out of it without unscrewing the seven bolts on the outside. Oh. There was, there was no way to steer it except for this little, um, what was it from? It was from a game gaming system. I forget which one, Xbox or something. Oh yeah, but actually, that's that's part of the story that made the most sense to me. Um, yeah. Honestly, children have grown children have grown up um, 
their entire lives using that to do delicate manipulations uh, on video games. Yeah, I think I think I think that the U.S. the U.S. Canadian Armed Forces should absolutely copy that design for their controllers, and no, it makes no, perfect sense might. to have that in the sub because I mean, yeah. if you want precision control, something that a kid's been using their entire life. Although this was a fifty-one-year-old man using it, um, and yeah. I can attest for fifty-year-old men using controllers like that, not so good. Oh, I don't know about that. They came out when we were young, so I, I think they could probably manage it. But, but the point was, there's no GPS down there, no comms, no radio. They didn't yeah. have any beacon system. They didn't have any flare system. They didn't have any way to notify people where they are. Also, it was only stress tested for one go, and it's had multiple goes. So, so it's very possible because I, it's 350 times gravity on the down there. Like. Yeah. I think what you're hearing online, people making jokes and, and gallows humor and such, um, is actually more about this, the astounding gall to even be yeah. there in the first place. Um, and I know it's not cool to dance on other people's graves or anything, but let's remember, that's kind of what those guys were doing. Well, being there did. in the first place, they're going to, a, they're, they're going to go gawk at a cemetery. Well, um, I don't think Gox quite a fair word. One of the guys was one of the most informed research in, informed mentioned. I can't think renowned. Sorry, wrong words. Renowned, renowned researchers, researchers around for, for Titanic. Yeah, so I, don't, yeah. I mean, I think there was hubris in the guy who put it together because they like cut parts, like the way that you did the ballast system. Like there was some hydraulics, but if it didn't work, you just rock the boat back and forth till they fall off. And uh, they didn't have a way to propel back to the surface. It would just float back to the surface once you got rid of the ballast. So no real control back to the surface. There's just so many safety issues with that vessel. It never should have gone in. And he bypassed all certifications. I mean, he wouldn't even get, he wouldn't even get certified. So I feel, I feel badly though for the people that, you know, whose families right now are mourning because the debris field is most likely from Um, the, from them because the, the Titanic is so well mapped. Oh, yeah, sure. oh, no, no, indeed, indeed, indeed. Uh, that's, that's, so, they you know. kn- yeah, so they know that debris is not from the Titanic down there. So and they haven't identified it for sure yet, but it sounds like. But like you said, the mercy of it will be that they, it was over in milliseconds, according to experts. So instead of okay. days and like, suffocating. So anyway, so. Horrible uh, segue, but, but I'm going to use it anyway. Here I go. Uh, Oh, wait, I but we missed, oh, we missed a Twitter story, but you go ahead. And we'll, oh, we'll we missed the Twitter story. I got a great, great segue into, no, sorry, wait, speaking of me. great hubris, um, and I, I, I actually really appreciate Gary Eyes coming out and um, uh, saying this. Um, so there's been uh, talk in the SEO community, um, especially, especially in the last couple of days, about using ChatGPT. And, and and other uh, large language models to um, how to say this without like freaking out or even more importantly having Christine, hearing Christine flip out um, uh, to, to use large language models as a guide to creating helpful content especially if you're comparing against competing content like a competitor's stuff so okay that's um, that's really hard to wrap your head around given what uh, large language model AI is does how it compiles how it how, yeah, how it compiles its output. It's just uh, it's it's Mad Libs. It's Mad Libs <laughs> on steroids. So it basically has a blank in a sentence and it puts the most next likely <laughs> word in there. That's it, people. <laughs> so Gary Eyes, who 
you know, you got to respect this guy because he knows what he's talking about. Like, really? Yeah, he does. Uh, yes, from, he does. And, he, and and he's also he's the Google he's the he's the Googler who um, who 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 you just know he doesn't put up with like BS very well. He no, has a he really not. really hard time putting up with with BS. Um, yeah, he he's, and very, he's very straightforward, which I appreciate. Yeah, he, he he appears to be really cranky, which I appreciate. But I think it's honestly <laughs> because his BS meter is going off all the time. So anyway, Gary says on LinkedIn that you should avoid using LLMs and AI for diagnosing potential SEO issues or other issues with your site. Writing, don't use them for diagnosing potential issues <laughs> with it. Um, LLMs <laughs> have a very high wow factor, but they don't actually have a clue about your website. They And they don't. Don't use them for diagnosing potential issues. And here's the thing. The LLM might get a whole bunch right. It really might. And it might get a whole bunch wrong. It really might. And you will probably maybe kind of maybe, I don't know, no. Maybe you won't because maybe you have faith in the machine. I don't know. But neither does it. <laughs> well, it doesn't. And here's a, here's a quote from Gary. I think it's important. He says, "I'm sure you have all seen it. A slew of AI tools or AI added to existing tools, backed by LLMs, large language models, to try to give you advice on how to improve your site. These are tools, and just like any tool, don't blindly just take their tips and advice and implement them. Review what they say and think about it if it makes sense to implement or not. Just like when you use Bard or ChatGPT or Bing Chat, you know when the responses seem off. So do your research before implementing suggestions. And if you're new to SEO, it probably makes sense to avoid these tools altogether until you know SEO very well. I paraphrase a little bit in there. Uh, because LLMs, what's my favorite word that they do? It, they they hallucinate, man. They, they totally, totally hallucinate stuff. Eh? Like bear, yeah. like a big blue bear leaning against the wall in Colorado, like the conference center. Total hallucination. <laughs> yeah, it's like they just make stuff up and they don't really make it up. That would then like they think. They don't think. They're just putting the next most likely word in a sentence and then they ground it. Grounding just means giving it some parameters like when you do a search, you know, that it doesn't say dogs float in balloons when you say how to walk a dog that's semantically related and they know some grounded like semantic relationships although um, dogs like, who are hallucinating may dream of they may. we don't know they may. but 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 i'm glad gary said this because i i've seen so many of these tools come out and most people have no idea how those even work even the people that make the tools it's like they don't even know how they work so it's like it, it's not don't don't do that. And by the way, if you look at, we've said this on the show before, I have anyway. Uh, if you look at the helpful content update, it specifically eliminates a lot of AI content, but not directly, indirectly. So read the rules of the helpful content update, but don't put them in um, uh, ChatGPT to evaluate your site because as Jim just said and Gary said, it doesn't know anything about your site. It's just going to write a sentence based on the best word. As I said in The Verge, and I'm going to say this in a way that doesn't censor us on the podcast channels, but The Verge had a title that it's the biggest bovine feces machine. Bovine being bull, feces being food. So, so yeah, so, so it's a very, it's a very good BSer, but don't trust everything that comes out of it. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> Yeah. Um, again, this, I think this, 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 this does have to be mentioned over and over and over again. Um, now, it also should be mentioned there are a number, of, a growing number of uh, tools that are merging AI 
um, into, into their tool sets to gather and evaluate existing information. That's possible, but it's a closed information set. Um, and again, it's not making any assumptions about, um, how to say it, doing an evaluation about a website, especially when you're evaluating against a competitor, you're looking at moving targets, constantly moving targets. Um, cause there's so many factors and include just a link into your, into one website can have a butterfly effect on that website's like rankability. It, it um, truly can. Um, well, it's a moving target, and so a large language model is not trained on now. Well, that, that's the important part, that the large language model is like ChatGPT. It's not trained on your website. Now, can you use ChatGPT to train something and then use it on that training material you gave it? Yes, but that's a whole different thing and a whole different process and doesn't involve you putting things in ChatGPT. In fact, uh, in fact, we might say that Microsoft just did this. Jim, did you hear about the Microsoft name for the new Microsoft project? Uh, the new Microsoft project is, oh, Orca. Oh, my God, sinking ships since 2023. Orca. Yeah, Orca. They get such a bad name lately. So, um, yeah. I don't know. I think it's from, from, from my view of social media, there's a lot of people out there rooting for them. Yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> uh, uh, Microsoft AI recently announced a new model called Orca, optimizing reasoning with common sense and attention, which aims to improving reasonabilities of foundation models like chat, uh, like GPT-3 on T5. It has 13, 13 billion parameters and leverages a large-scale common sense knowledge base. I really don't understand yet what they mean by common sense. I have to do a deep dive onto that because what is common sense and who has it? So, but uh, to generate natural language explanations for various reasoning tasks. So uh, the interesting thing though is what did they train on to do this? You know? I have no idea. Um, although I honestly don't understand why um, Microsoft in a closed environment in a windowless room um, far away from the actual internet, why Microsoft doesn't just let ChatGPT go through its index? Oh, I don't know. Maybe that's why they made Orca. Is Orca? Like honestly, <laughs> on, actually, I do understand why they don't. I understand why they don't do it live. Why they don't want a um, uh, a chatbot capable of learning from live information. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me, actually. <laughs> But in a small windowless room, remember, remember that 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 artsy um, FX TV show Devs. I don't, I don't no, know if I you never saw, saw it. it. The no, brilliant show about a Facebook-like comp uh, 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 compound uh, creating a uh, new artificial life and artificial intelligence. Remember, this was made about five years ago, and it was a hermetically closed off, sealed off, completely. Um, alien to the rest of the world room that it was being developed in. And I honestly don't know why Microsoft doesn't. And I imagine Microsoft, Google, et al. already have done this in such rooms. Um, but train AI on the live web. And well, I don't I'm, sure, not. I, I, I think they do. I, I, I think they do some of that, but it's not ready for prime time kind of stuff. So, and then. Uh, no, and that's, about- that would be dangerous and powerful. 
Yeah, very, very. And the interesting thing about Orca is uh, it sounds very similar to Mum, which is already developed by Google. What, 2000? Was that 19, Mum? Uh, 2018, 2019, yeah. Uh, yeah it was, um, was pre pandemic. So, Orca can help find answers to like complex questions, like to take a step, says the steps, like why do people wear sunglasses or how do you prevent a fire? So, basically, multi steps in the answer, not like a single answer, which mom already does. So, I'm not, I think that's a more competitor for that. But I do find it interesting that they bought the controlling interest in open AI and then. And then used it to uh, train its new LFM, which I assume will compete with OpenAI. I don't know. I will have to do more of a deep dive and talk about it later. It just came out this week. so Somewhere somewhere on a tropical island near a growing spaceport, Sam Altman is sipping a martini going, damn, I got out just in time. <laughs> no, he's still there. <laughs> um, well, you know, they probably got him chained to a desk for two or three more years, so they sucked last <laughs> last little bit of AI out of him, and then he can uh, go build his own spaceport somewhere to get the heck out, heck out of here. For those that don't know, um, Microsoft bought a, I believe it's a forty nine percent interest in OpenAI. So they don't control it technically, but part of the deal was they control what OpenAI does until they can pay them back the money, which will be quite a while. So. So they are, they are the rulers of all the AI in that area. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, where are we going next? We're, uh, we got about 20 minutes. So, um, oh, we got plenty of stuff. Are we talking uh, about Google and its ads issue? Google has an ads issue? Is this a good ads issue or a bad issue? Because I got, I got two different ad, ad stories about Google. What do you got? Yeah, let's, let's talk about the first one, the lawsuit, because uh, that leads into the second one in the EU. So, Okay. So the publisher of USA Today, um, Garrett Publishing, which um, – Garnet, Garnet. Or Garnet, sorry. Garnet Publishing, which actually just uh, – Garnet. But just a few short years ago was a major, major publishing house. And that was probably a mid-range sized publishing house. But, uh, you know, awfully, awfully, awfully important group of people. They publish USA Today, a massive newspaper. You can find it on your doorstep of just about any hotel across the United States. Um, And they're suing Google because ad revenues are way, way down. And they're suggesting that Google's using their monopolistic power in the market um, to, to manipulate, to manipulate uh, 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 revenue share. So that's happening. Um, it's a weird case, given that um, Google doesn't have a technical monopoly in the market. There's plenty of competition out there for USA Today to you know, get ad inventory from. But, you know... They do kind of have a monopoly in the they market. Do. Kind of, yeah, they control over 60% of the ad exchange market, but 90% of the publisher ad servers So to offer ad space for sale. Yeah, so, so if, 90, you, yeah. if you want to wean yourself off Google, you probably could, but that would be a, uh, a kind of crappy business decision. If you want to yeah. stay with Google, you absolutely can, but that'll probably be a crappy business decision. Sketch well, too, and- huh? And yeah, exactly. And and they are in trouble for it because, and we'll get into EU in just a minute, but uh, earlier this year, uh, nine states in the United States joined together to sue Google as well. Similar lawsuit that was brought in the EU 
about their monopoly issues. So they're antitrust lawsuits against Google. So we'll, we'll see what happens with the US one, but the EU one has a little bit of an outcome already. Remember we talked about that last year? Last week, last week. I am really this bad with words today. Uh, um, last week. Well, there's a little bit of an outcome, but I'm not so sure that uh, it's uh, incredibly beneficial. New charges have been have been laid against uh, Google. Um, they got fresh anti-charge trust charges laid yesterday. Um, EU regular regulars suggest it's the only way to satisfy their com- competition concerns um, is to. Uh, so off part of the part of Google's um, uh, uh, AdWords and um, ad publishing programs. Um, yeah. Mandatory divestment by Google of part of its services was what their exact words were. Now, Google is doing its best to lobby the heck out of the EU to um, soften the blow here, but I don't think that lobby is going to be successful. No, the EU isn't known for being soft and squishy. Usually well, once they make decisions, they're pretty... Just for American uh, companies who do think they want to do business with with European regulators, remember, if you're going to do it this way, you've got to bring bags of money the size of FIFA or yes. the International Olympic Committee. That's the only yes. way it works. If you bring the bags of money the size Google's bringing to the table... No one's going to take you seriously, and besides which, that can't be done in back rooms or that sort of thing. So it's just, it's hard to pull off. But um, this is like FIFA-sized corruption, not uh, America-sized corruption. Well, so and and part of big. the ac- part of the accusations in the EU is that Google is preferencing its own ads, so it makes more money. So it's that's so it's not like you issue. can't afford the FIFA-sized corruption, Google. You really can. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry, I'm being I'm being very very cynical. Um, but, you, are, you are cynical today. But but that I mean that's honestly that's what the lobby that's what the lobby effort is all about trying to bribe individual um, EU commissioners to vote differently than they're going to vote, and that's what Google is doing in Europe right now. Of course, of course, yeah. Which which is also interesting because you now we're going to flip back to OpenAI. I guess what Sam Altman is doing, the one who's claiming to want all the regulations. I'm guessing he's lobbying uh, EU regulators in Europe to chill down on the regulations. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. He spent a lot of time touring the uh, world capitals uh, and now is lobbying the EU to uh, water down the ways that we reduce the regulatory burden on the company. So, so it is kind of kind of interesting that he's in front of Congress going, well, I want regulation, and he's on TV, I want regulation. And then behind the scenes, he's like, no, 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 not that much regulation. So note to Sam Altman, you know that money you were going to build that space fort with? You might have to spend it bribing EU regulators because that's what it costs. They don't take bribes easily. So if you are going to bribe them, go very big. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we're talking about bribing here. But they are lobbying, which is legal. I don't know that it should be, but it is. But, uh, yeah, he's also especially worried about the ChatGPT5 um, regulations. But right now he's not going forward with that. Uh, but that's the one everyone's really worried about. All the, you know, researchers have wrote about, you know, what's going to kill us all. That's the version. So I, I do believe regulation is probably a really good thing in this case. Also, today in the United States, they had a big meeting about going forth with a regulatory body for it. But there's not a lot of details yet. So we'll talk about more. We'll report more on that when they've got that all settled out. 
So, but yeah, so he's lobbying the EU to water down the regulations. Um, undoubtedly, and undoubtedly he will be successful to a degree. Um, the EU doesn't want to miss out on the AI revolution, but the, e- the EU at the same time doesn't want to uh, be pushed into, um, uh, well, um, accepting something that will have more control than it does as a, as a, as a, as a governing body. Um, so yeah. it wants it wants control over over AI big time. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay. Um, so ta- talking about regulation, okay. it's, not reg- it's not a regulation, but it is a change of Twitter. Uh, more, more. Oh, for oh, God's but... sake! Is this is, is this is this yeah, uh, Musk and his prejudice? They can, they can get their accounts suspended if they don't know about it. So, uh, um, if you can yeah. do it without yelling, go for it. <laughs> Uh, I can do it without yelling. So apparently Elon Musk said the other day on Twitter that if you use the word cis or cisgender at someone, it's considered targeted harassment. Mind you, he doesn't care if you use bad words towards people who are LGBTQIA. He's fine with that. Um, and cis and cisgender are routed in They're scientific terms. Yes, exactly. They're scientific terms. They're not and slang slurs. They're scientific terms from many years ago. To this show understands that we use twenty-five cent to five-dollar words and scientific terms because they are all about precision. It's not about making stuff up to troll people with. It's honestly about precision of language and getting it right. And um, yeah, I just it's like like Musk, like dude, go fight Zuckerberg or something. Yeah. Please do something useful. So, so people know the history of the word cisgender comes from the Latin prefix cis. So we're talking Latin here, right? The language that doesn't get spoken anymore, meaning on the side with gender. And in contrast to transgender, it was coined in 1994 and started adding, it was added to the dictionaries in 2015. So it's not a slur. It's not a negative. If someone says you're cisgender, it just means you're um, not LGBTQIA, basically. Uh, so, but the thing is, that you can now have your account suspended or removed for using that towards someone. So if you're like, you're a cisgender male, you don't understand this because I am not, here's, I'm explaining blah, blah, blah. It could be taken as a slur and you could lose your account. So you do need to be aware that that silliness is going on in Twitter. And I hopefully the Instagram model comes out pretty soon. I was going to say, if that happens, it's a thread might stitch you up. So <laughs> Exactly. But people do need to know because you can lose your account. So, yeah. uh, Where do we go from there? Okay, something like way cooler, like infinitely cooler. And actually, this is infinitely cooler. Um, Google's introducing, uh, we get back to SEO stuff, which, you know, uh, I can talk about without, without feeling like yelling most of the time. Um, <laughs> most. <laughs> most of the time. I really appreciate what Google's trying to do with Core Web Vitals. Um, as an SEO, I recognize that this is a uh, protocol more than it is a ranking thing. Altogether, you're creating an environment that uh, Google can easily deal with and easily like uh, parse and render. Um, and that operates properly in the viewport in which Google is judging um, any given web page. So you get your core web vitals right, you're going to improve your page's indexability and rankability. But 
getting them right doesn't guarantee that's going to happen. But you are definitely creating the conditions under which it should happen if Google is acting as Google is supposed to act, which it does 99.9% of the time. So um, they're introducing a new core web vital, which I I think is actually kind of cool because I think it's going to be a better representation of user experience than um, something like First Contentful Paint or Largest Contentful Paint. And it's called um, Interaction to Next Paint. it's uh, there to try to try to figure out um, a page's like interaction latency it takes one of the longest um, interactions that when you uh, occur to, that occur when you visit a page, um, and you know sees basically how long that 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 interaction takes. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 again. Um, I think it's I think it's a smarter way of measuring than how long a big block of thing takes to load. How does it actually affect the user interactions? Yeah, I think it's probably better than thrust input delay, which is what it's replacing. Uh, there is uh, Google does have a guide on how to optimize for it. Um, Google under web.dev web dev their web dev site uh, they have an optimized IMP section. So that will be really helpful to people who are like, what is this? I don't understand. That's a really good documentation that explains it. But basically, it's just finding slow interactions in the field of the how the page loads. So uh, I think it'll, it'll be a good one. I don't know what CWVs really do for us on the positive so far. <laughs> but you know I do what? know that they hurt you in the negative. I have seen that. Uh, yeah, I, I can actually draw a direct correlation between improved C- uh, Core Web Vitals and uh, dramatic improvements in uh, in numbers of impressions, but it's only with a couple of clients and only in a couple of instances, and um, you know, it's only my my anecdotal evidence. But um, I saw, you know what I saw? I saw a CLS score of zero the other day on a whole bunch of pages. <laughs> and that made nice. me so very happy. The, nice. the, 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 the young dev that, that got that one, um, seriously, I went to Teams and we held a little little company-wide party for him and everything. <laughs> but it was, you never see that. That was so cool. No, it's awesome. Yeah, my, my client of mine got all that stuff right now, but the time to first bite is really poor. So I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, guys, but you've done really well. Okay, now, this this drives me nuts, and this is driving a lot of developers crazy. You get everything perfect, and time to first bite is still screwy, because that's that's one of the moving targets, right? You you can do everything right, and um, there could be a bunch of web traffic that day. Yeah, well, well, it doesn't update quite that quickly, but but it's only 24 hours. Yeah, um, you know what I mean, though. Like that's that's that, yeah. it's hard to say that's a constant. Um, so like, well, like kind of first bite is basically just the first handshake, the first pixel it can bring back. Generally, it's located with it's a server issue, but not always. Sometimes people preload a whole bunch of scripts ahead of the page load, and then the page is like, "I'm waiting for the scripts. I can't load anything." And Google's like, "I'm waiting for you to do something." 
And so, often yeah. that happens because of the templates used in uh, in many, many um, headless sites and also many WordPress sites. Yeah, although WordPress has gotten a lot better at it. And so of the themes, if you use a really well-known theme that's well-known for speed, like you can get a million themes from a million places with WordPress. You really want to make sure you're using a fast theme. Yeah. But generally, it's also a lot of times the host, hosting setup. So uh, there are ways to evaluate it using things like GT metrics or web developer um, tools where you can see what that first handshake is. But generally, that's for the developers. But if you're doing a search trial with like Sitebulb or Screaming Frog, and you see that your time to first byte is generally over 1,000 milliseconds, you definitely want to address it. I saw one yesterday that had 5,000 pages at 88,000 milliseconds. Well, 88,000 milliseconds. Yeah, 88 seconds. But, that's yeah. not 88 seconds. That's not yeah. possible. It is. That's, that's, it that's, is. That's, that's almost a minute and a half to load. Uh, to get the first byte, not to load. Just oh, oh, bite. my goodness! Just, just, just to say yeah. hello. Time to first. I, 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 I know that you're there. Yeah, that's so the time to first the spin, that's You got a the great spinning wheel just happening yeah. that whole time. So I sort of like that. I sent you a screenshot of the puzzle stuff. Yeah, but we'll talk about it later. Oh uh, my but, god, that was that. That was oh my god. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the so so that was a great way to say it. Time to first bite for people who don't know. It's just the server is like, hello, hi. You're like you do like your search and. You click on a website and you go to the website and it's like, hey, website, I'm here. Hi, how are you? And the website instantly should go, hey, I'm here too. How are you? And handshake. But unfortunately, sometimes websites are like doing something else. And the server sitting there going, uh, Google sitting there going, caller's uh, like, hey, guys, I'm here. Um, I knocked at the door. I rang the bell. Nobody's answering. Are you home? And you don't ever want that to happen because Google actually will leave the crawl, not maybe the, just the page crawl, might not be the whole site crawl, but we'll leave the crawl when you get a really slow time to first bite. And they want 80 milliseconds. So if you're over a thousand milliseconds, you're way off. Um, although they're pretty tolerant up to about 800 milliseconds. But um, 88,000 milliseconds. 88,000, yeah. They, they, they lose patience uh, somewhere yes. after the second commercial, right? Exactly, exactly. So so you just want to make sure that that's something you check because a lot of sites have time to first bite issues. And it's not officially part of the Core Web Vitals, but it is something that will affect Google wanting to surface your site and make it very visible. So you definitely want to address that. Okay, we are running towards uh, end, uh, the, 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 the end of the show. A um, couple of quick warnings. You have like eight days, 10 hours in a matter of minutes to get your G4 profile together so that it's um, recording um, data that uh, your Universal Analytics 3 profile is going to stop recording. Yes. June, um, July 1st, Canada Day. Um, the day that's just a few days before Independence Day. If, if, if that helps, uh, July first, um, which mightn't seem like a serious day this 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 year, given that it's a Saturday of a four day weekend, but I assure you, Google's taking that day seriously. <laughs> yes, you definitely definitely need to take care of that. So uh, yeah. So what do you think? Let's 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 just say for the sake of it, what do you do if you haven't yet? I mean, like we're 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 a week and a day away from um, Analytic Armageddon. The good news is Google will still give you a year of your data before it was only when you added the pixel. So if you added it like today, you'd lose all your data before today. So they're giving you a year at least of the data. I think it should be 
all of your data because it's really bad for sites that have longevity to not be able to look at their analytics. I'd also say find an analytics program. Uh, some of them are expensive, some are cheap, some are free that will just import all your data from before. Even if you can't use it as your main analytics program, at least you'll have all your data from before. But once January, July 1st rolls around, that's all gone. You will not be able to import any of that data. Or so use it or mess around with it or yeah. compare it to other stuff or do anything. Like when we say yeah. gone, we mean gone. Yeah. So if like most people, your 20,000, um, 2020, 2021, 2022 traffic is very unhelpful in informing you on patterns because that was all pandemic traffic. So if you need to go back to 2019 to find out what your Christmas traffic should look like or what your seasonal traffic should be, uh, and you don't have that information, what do you do? And so if you don't have find a way to to keep it, there might be some other things I don't know about right now, but uh, I do know there are programs out there that will keep all your data from your universal analytics. And so if that's important to you, you definitely want to take care of that before the first, because once the first comes, as Jim said, it's gone. It's all gone. So functionality go kaput. Yes, exactly. But uh, Google Analytics 4 will be online and functional. And you can have days of fun trolling through, figuring out how to get the data that you used to get. (laughs) In some cases, you can actually get to it. And in some cases, you can't anymore. So... Prepping, you know, but more importantly, as important as prepping yourself is prepping your client. Because um, sometimes they really like seeing reports made a, a certain way. And some of the stuff that you were putting in those reports before, should you have been reporting on Google Analytics, isn't going to be available to you anymore. So yeah. let your clients know this is coming. If I mean, I'm assuming you, you, must, you, you, all, you must have already let your clients know this is coming. But, but if you haven't, now is a good time to do it. Very much, like right now. <laughs> like, yeah, like right now, because yesterday was a yeah. better time to do it. Yes, I'm um, just out of emails this afternoon reminding everybody, because I went into a client site yesterday who said they're all set up, and it says, this has not been completed. So good thing I went into their analytics yesterday, or they'd be very sad on July 1st. I have a feeling there's going to be such an outcry from so many people who didn't know that, because, you know, unless you have us, a lot of people have regular sites, don't know this stuff. Well, um, that, that, would, that would assume, of course, that they're not going to look. Because if you do go look at your Google Analytics, they kind of sledgehammer you with this like they do. countdown clock. But do you realize that you'll have none of your data past a year ago? Probably not. And a lot of small sites, a lot of small businesses, which are actually the predominant users of Google Analytics, they don't go into their analytics very often. They just really don't. Oh. So, yeah. So I'm hoping people know in time. So, yes. Okay, um, we, I guess, kind of close the show on a uh, uh, more somber note. The, um, there was a debris field found near the uh, Titanic, and it's almost certainly that of the uh, Titan, the small submersible that was um, uh, uh, exploring um, the, uh, the, the, the hull of the Titanic. Um, no idea exactly what happened, but according to the U.S. Coast Guard, it's they're calling it as the uh, as the Titan. So it's uh, almost certain yeah. that was them. Yeah, it's really sad. They found uh, debris sixteen hundred feet off and two hundred feet off the bow of the Titanic, and because 
the Titanic, as we talked about earlier, has been so so documented. Additional debris is very noticeable, and one of the outlines they believe was the shape of part of the hull. So my only positive out of all this is they didn't spend four days suffocating to death inside that thing. But um, yeah, very sad. But there, you know, whatever you think about, you know, billionaires spending the money to do this, they do have families and loved ones and children and friends who are now, you know, mourning their loss. So it's yeah. it's a sad sad thing. I was kind of hoping we'd have one of those rescue stories that at least you know made everyone feel better, but that's not going to happen. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. That's about it for Webcology this week. We've gone, we've gone almost around full clock. I think, I think we've gone through most of our stories. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, it's hard to, hard to follow. The submarine stories just spooked me out. The curse really weirded me out. And any people dying underwater weirds me out. Um, anyway, on behalf of Kristen Schackinger from Sites Without Walls, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. You've been listening to Webcology recorded live to podcast on the 22nd of June, 2023. Rank well, be kind to each other. Um, build good pages with good content. Don't, you know, don't, don't do any of that silly stuff. And um, yeah, again, be kind. We will talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.